Well, church, as you're seated and as we open our Bibles in here to Matthew chapter 5, any elementary kids are welcome to gather at this time out in the foyer for the beginning of uh, children's worship time with Mr. David and children's ministry leaders down in the worship uh, room, the kids' worship room. But for all of us who remain right here, let me invite you to open up the Bible with me, God's Word with me, to Matthew uh, chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, and specifically uh, to verse 20. We're in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, verse 20 today as we're journeying through this portion of the Bible, the most famous sermon ever given, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, preached by none other than Jesus himself. And so we're journeying through this, this portion, this section of God's Word, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and today we come to chapter 5, verse 20. And so as you find your place there uh, in the Bible, I know you just sat down, but would you join me standing for the reading of God's Word, Matthew chapter 5, Verse 20, Jesus said, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Would you bow with me in prayer? Oh God, we need you. God, we need you now. Speak to us now, instruct us now, guide us now, shape us now for the glory of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Piercing, pointed, shocking. Those are some of the words that could adequately describe Jesus' statement here concerning the religious leaders of his day. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, that is the teachers of God's law, the teachers of the book, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. The Phillips Bible paraphrase renders it this way, for I tell you that your goodness must be a far better thing than the goodness of the scribes and Pharisees before you can set foot in the kingdom of heaven at all. Like there could hardly be a more surprising statement from Jesus' lips on the mountainside that day. These guys, the Pharisees, the, the scribes, the teachers, they were the religious experts. The religious elite, the teachers and the worship leaders, and Jesus says about them, they're not going to enter heaven. Like what? If not them, then who? Right? Imagine Jesus saying something like the Pope, not going to be in heaven. The president of the Southern Baptist uh, Convention, don't count on him being there. The, the pastor of your favorite megachurch that's on TV week after week, don't count on seeing him there. Now, I'm not making those judgments, but that's the sort of gavel that Jesus drops on the pulpit here. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of these folks who've dedicated their very lives to displaying righteousness, it ain't looking good for you. 
been reading a memoir from the late uh, Calvin Miller, who was a pastor and a seminary professor, a brother in Christ who mentored many, and he recounts his childhood in the early pages of that story, and he describes growing up in poverty in Oklahoma uh, and uh, being in a large family and how his, his mother was the backbone of that family. How growing up, he never, he never knew that they were poor, but they were quite poor. She took care of them, and she was shunned by uh, believers in the local church because she was a single mother, recently gone through a divorce. But he writes about his mother saying that uh, she loved God for, for free. Right? And what he's saying there is that she uh, didn't love God as the theologians did, right? Not austerely or as a career, but that... Uh, she loved God without any formal education in the things of God. She loved God for what she knew to be true about God. That gets to the heart of, I think, what Jesus is saying here. Like, Jesus, if, if, if we've got to do more than these folks, if, if we've got to memorize more Bible, if we've got to uh, pray longer hours, if we've got to practice more disciplined obedience to your commands, I don't think I can do it. Like if, if their obedience isn't enough, how in the world could you or I expect to measure up to God's standard of righteousness? How could anyone's righteousness surpass that of the Pharisees and the scribes of Christ's day? Now, now we know, church, we, we know as believers who've studied the book, who continue to study the book, we, we, we know that we don't get to heaven on the basis of earned righteousness, on the basis of uh, our earned right standing with God. We get to heaven on the basis of imputed righteousness, meaning uh, righteousness of another that's credited to our account. Someone else's righteousness that's given to us by God's grace. In other words, no amount of obedience or good works can gain us entrance for our disobedience, no matter how small or how much, means that there is no one righteous. Not even one. So we don't get in by good works. The only reason any of us can enter heaven is the gracious gift of God, undeserved. Received through faith in Jesus Christ. Remember that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But here's the deal. This is what what I think Jesus is saying. Truly receiving such salvation, truly receiving such a gift through faith in Jesus produces a different way of living, the overflow of a heart transformed by God's incredible grace. So right here, when Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about imputed righteousness, but about demonstrated righteousness. The necessary evidence that you know the Lord. Faith on display. But in and of itself, external religiosity alone like those of the religious leaders in Christ's day, provides inadequate evidence of genuine faith in God. And so unlike God, we learn from what Jesus is saying right here that we are poor judges of people's motives. 
We are poor judges of people's motives. You see, the, the folks Jesus is criticizing are all about external religion. They're all about public obedience. They're all about obeying the outward, observable components of God's law. They loved being noticed for public prayers and for showing charity, for looking pompous and pious. They were pretentious and rich in pride, pursuing self-glorification rather than God's glorification. To drive this home, Jesus drove this home a number of different times in his ministry, but he once told a story. He told a parable about two men who entered the temple to pray. You might remember it. One of those was a Pharisee. One of these guys, a, a, a teacher of the word. A Pharisee and uh, a tax collector. Known as a sinner, hated by fellow Jews in that day. But these two guys, a Pharisee and a tax collector, entered the temple of God to pray to God and the Pharisee stands up and he begins to pray to God out loud and he says God thank you so much that I am not like all these sinners these robbers and evildoers adulterers thank you God that I'm not like this this tax collector over here but no I I fast twice every week and I give a tenth of all I get away to you and then the tax collector prays he bows before heaven he says God have Mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says that God is pleased, not with the prayer of the Pharisee, but pleased with the prayer of the sinner who knows he's a sinner. Not with the prayer of the good man who's counting on his goodness to get him points with God. Jesus would drive it home elsewhere with these words. He'd say, woe to you, teachers. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He says, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean in the same way. On the outside, you appear to people as righteous. But on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You see, God's never been pleased with outward obedience devoid of inward devotion. In fact, it's the other way around. Inward devotion to the Lord produces the kind of true obedience that God desires to produce in our our hearts. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel. This is the Shema. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's the only one. He's our God. The Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Of course, Jesus quotes this in the New Testament saying that it's the greatest commandment. The first and greatest commandment is to be loving toward God. It is to love Him. For if you love him, you will want to obey him. And as the Holy Spirit begins to change your heart, you will obey him with an observable evidential righteousness that is greater than that of the Pharisees as a result of his work in you. You see, God God looks beyond external religion and sees our hearts. 
That's what Jesus is saying here, that God looks beyond external religion and he sees, he sees our hearts. Borrowed sermon title today from a movie that was released by, produced by Pixar in 2015, Inside Out. A movie that traces the journey of a young girl. Shows us, peers into the, the feelings, the emotions that are influencing the decisions of that young lady. In other words, a, a way of seeing beyond just the external into what she's really experiencing and feeling on the inside. You see, God sees us from the inside, the inside out. You know the story of Samuel the prophet going to Bethlehem to anoint the second king of, of Israel. David, shepherd boy, listen to how one children's book describes that journey. As God commanded, Samuel went to Bethlehem. He saw that Jesse's oldest son was a fine-looking young man. Samuel thought God would want him to be the next king, but the Lord said no. He said, don't, don't choose a person by the way he looks. I don't choose people that way. I see their thoughts, and I know what is in their hearts. Friend, did you know the Lord sees your thoughts and he knows what's in your hearts? The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. God says he sees our conduct and he sees our deeds. But before he measures them, he searches our hearts. And he examines our minds. Jesus would say, for out of the heart, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. In other words, sin comes from wicked hearts. Jesus is looking beyond the external religion and sees our hearts. And God wants our hearts. He wants our hearts. God sees our hearts and he He wants our hearts. Friend, did you know that God wants your heart? God wants you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He made you and he made you and I to to know him. And to be right with him, to be reconciled to him, to thrive as his sons and his daughters. He wants you and I to know his love. He he wants our hearts. Friend, does he have your heart? Are you here this morning because the grace of God has captured your heart and you want to live for him? Or are you here this morning because you think that somehow your presence gains you points with him and favor in the eyes of people? Friend, God sees our hearts. And he wants our hearts. King David would later summarize and convey this truth. You you know the story. After sinning deeply and publicly, Bathsheba and Uriah escapade. And he later realizes the depth of what he's done. And he's broken over his sin. And he comes before God. And he cries out to God in repentance. He prays to God. He doesn't say, I'm going to bring all these things. I've got all these gifts that I'm going to give you to appease you, God. No, he says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. 
you, God, will not despise. Friend, God wants our hearts, and until he has our hearts, our righteousness looks more like the Pharisees than it does the citizens of his kingdom. Does he have your heart? And you see, it's a really big deal. It's a really, really big deal to give him your heart. Because we don't naturally want to give him our hearts. We naturally want to guard our hearts. To keep them for self. To let our hearts keep serving us for our own wants, our own ambitions, our own personal pleasure and gain. The reality is that we've got a heart problem. A heart problem The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? See, here's the problem. Our hearts are wicked. Just like the showy Pharisees of Jesus' day, and we can't fix them. We can't fix them. We we can't change our hearts. Certainly, we can modify our behavior, perhaps. We can change our activities. We can join AA and stop drinking. We can go to bed earlier and be more productive with our days. We can adjust our spending for the sake of comfort or even for the sake of generosity and helping others. We can do these things that change outward outward behavior with sufficient willpower and practical help, but we can't do anything on our own about our wicked hearts. It's beyond the scope of education or ability. But there is one who can. There is one who specializes in changing hearts. There is one known for giving heart transplants that always work out according to the plans of the surgeon. There is one who said to a people who kept on rebelling against him, and I will give you a new heart. To to a people who sinned against God, rebelling against God again and again and again, God said to them, I'm going to give you a new heart, and I'm going to put a new spirit in you. I'm going to remove from you a heart of stone, a dead, lifeless, rebellious heart, and give you a heart of flesh, one that's moldable, one that's alive, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Friends, a promise and a plan that God gave six hundred years before the birth of Jesus Christ, about a future day when God would work through Jesus the Messiah to capture and transform and transplant the hearts of a people who would be his people, who would indeed love him and live in relationship to him and want to honor and to obey him because their hearts had been convicted by his spirit and captured by his grace, given through a new covenant with his son, who is our savior, the one who said just verses prior to this, don't think I've come to abolish these things that have been said before me. Don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, to fulfill them. 
to fulfill the very words of God, to fulfill the scriptures by canceling the law's claims on us, by transplanting hearts and by implanting the spirit in all who trust him. This is Holy Spirit work. You see, here's the truth. Only the spirit of Christ can change our hearts. Only the Spirit of Christ or the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Only the Spirit of Christ can change our hearts, giving us a righteousness that indeed surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And change our hearts, he does. Praise God. He changes hearts as we hear and respond to the gospel of grace. It's fulfilled in the coming and the living and the dying and the rising of Jesus the Christ, the one who shows us the character of God, the one who conquers sin and the one who changes lives by sending his spirit to take up residence in the hearts of all those who trust in him. Friend, have you trusted in him? Have you trusted in Jesus the Christ? See, we're talking about eternal things here. Because Jesus is talking about eternal things here. We're not talking about temporary things. This is not about the temporal. This is about the eternal. This isn't about do better, try harder. It's not about moralism or feel-goodism. For all of those leave us falling far short of entrance into the kingdom of heaven. The only way in is by receiving the new life that God gives to all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Is your faith. In Christ. Is your faith in Christ? For the scriptures declare, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is turned from sin and trusted in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, identified with Christ, a follower of Christ, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, new life. The new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Only the Spirit of Christ can change our hearts, and He will change the hearts of all who look to him so that they began living for him. Church, God changes the hearts of those with faith in Christ so they begin living for him. That's what Jesus is teaching. That's what Jesus is declaring. That's what the Bible is, is sharing. God changes the hearts of those with faith in Christ so they begin living for him. Has he changed your heart? Friend, has he changed your heart? Has he given you a new heart? God changes lives from the inside out so that sinners begin to live for him. The answer isn't do better, try harder. Friends, the answer is put your faith in Christ. Be reconciled to God now and forever by the grace of God, by simply trusting in the Son of God. Respond to God's love demonstrated in the coming of Jesus Christ. Be reconciled to God and then start living in light of that relationship with him. Are you in right relationship with him? Are you right with God? Not because of something that you've done, not because of something you've earned. Are you right with him because you've received the gift of new and eternal life by his grace through your faith in Jesus Christ? Are you right with God or are you still depending on your own righteousness? Can I tell you how to be right with him? Turn from sin and trust in Jesus Christ. 
Confess your sin, your failures before God. Confess that your righteousness, that your goodness is not enough. That it does not measure up. None of ours does. There's no one righteous, not even one. The Bible says, confess your unrighteousness before God and receive the free gift of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him. Father, would you help us to do so today, even now? Lord, would you help us, all of us gathered in this place on this day, right now to express trust in you in our hearts? Oh, Spirit of God, stir us, guide us, lead us, instruct us, convict us of our sin, and point us to the Savior of sinners. Oh, God, we thank you for your mercy. God, we thank you for your work. Oh, God, we thank you for your love. Oh, God, we thank you for your your kindness. We thank you for the hope of eternity with you. Lord, work in us even now that we might respond to you. Lord, that we might respond even now, all of us, that we might respond in ways that are fitting For those who've heard from you, lead us to respond now with prayer and praise and confession. Lead us to faith in Christ. And it's in the name of Christ and for the glory of Christ that we pray. Amen.